encourage you to have your Bibles open this morning to that same passage that we read from earlier, Matthew 6. And again, our text will be from verses 5 to 8. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, imagine that you were on a trip to another country and you fell asleep on the plane. You're awakened to a strange sound. A group of men had gathered in the back of the the plane to say their prayers to their God, and they did it in a different language. These prayers were never ending. They kept repeating and getting louder and more eerie, especially since you just woke up from the sound of it. Well, perhaps you never had an experience something like that yourself, but this certainly is the case in certain parts of the world, even the, who Jesus is speaking to. The devout Jews in Jesus' day had their set times of prayer. Their hours were the third, the sixth, and the ninth hours. That is, nine in the morning, 12 noon, and 3 p.m. in the afternoon. In whatever place a man found himself, he would be bound to that practice. Now, there no doubt would have been those who were very sincere about that, who came to the Lord sincerely, but others, it would have been a matter of mere routine, going through the motions. Muslims have the same customs. Commentator William Barclay tells the story of a Muslim who was in hot pursuit of an enemy with a drawn knife to kill him. And the, the uh, muezzin ran, rang out. That's the muezzin. Muezzin, pardon me, is in Islam, as you likely know, is that official who cries out that it's, it's time to pray. So as soon as that happened, the Muslim heard that. He stopped pursuing his enemy He rolled out his prayer mat, knelt down, raced through the prayer. Once he was done, got up and continued to pursue his enemy. All very mechanical and automatic and routine. Now perhaps we would never think of Christian prayer in this way as something that's mechanical or, or automatic. But Jesus does provide for us the impending dangers. We may never think of ourselves as being like the Pharisees, who were, for the sake of the reputation, were always ready to give their alms openly. But we too are in the danger, in in, in danger of the same through our giving and our prayers being all about us, and where the where the focus is all upon us. But Jesus tells us that all our righteous acts, our giving, our prayers, or something else, whatever we do, are before God. All things are before God. And we must always remember to keep his majesty before us. In fact, Jesus tells us that all things are done before our Father. It's amazing how often that phrase comes up our Father, within this section. 
As Matthew 6 verses 1 to 4 show us, when we forget about ourselves and forget our reputation, our Father will openly reward us. Jesus says, keep your giving between yourself and the Lord and do it as unto, unto the Lord. Even do your praying before your Father. Do it secretly and quietly, not with a loud trumpet or a big announcement because he sees what you do in secret. There's that 1970s uh, Maranatha song that my parents used to play uh, on an old vinyl LP, which maybe brings this across. Let's forget about ourselves and magnify the Lord and worship him. Let's forget about ourselves and magnify the Lord and worship him. And that's what we want to consider today in this look, in this section of the Sermon on on the Mount. Our sermon is uh, the Lord's teaching on the how and what of prayer. We're going to be looking at this with three points. Uh, First of all, ostentatious prayer. Secondly, repetitious prayer. And then thirdly, the disciples' prayer. So first of all, Jesus warns against ostentatious prayer. Again, William Barclay comments, no nation ever had a higher ideal of prayer than the Jews had. And no religion ranked prayer higher in the scale priorities than the Jews did. Great is prayer, said the rabbis, greater than all good works. One of the loveliest things that was ever said about family worship is the the, uh, rabbinical saying, he who prays within his house surrounds it with a wall that is stronger than iron. The only regret was that the rabbis had was that it was not possible to pray all the day long. And there were certain faults that had crept into the Jewish habits of prayer. They weren't the result of neglect. They were the error of misguided devotion. One that is one that has become formal. And you still can hear that today in the famous Shema from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ahud. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema was to be recited by every Jew every morning and every evening. It had to be said as early as possible that as the sun was just coming up and they could see the colors uh, of the light, they could be able to tell the difference between blue and white. As soon as they saw the colors that were coming out in the outside, they had to say the prayer. There's also these so-called 18 prayers, which are still an essential part of synagogue worship. Uh, many of these prayers are short, and, and many of them are, are lovely in the way that they're put together. Uh, the fifth prayer of, this, of the uh, 18, 18 prayers says this, Bring us back to the law, O our Father, Bring us back, O King, to your service. Bring us back to you by true repentance. Praised be thou, O Lord, who dost accept our repentance. 
There's a beauty in liturgy. And some of the prayers that we find in uh, the Book of Common Prayer, uh, for example, the book that the Anglicans use for their services, are very beautiful. In, in the URC, we have the Forms and Prayers book, which is very similar to what you have at the back of the Book of Praise with, with all the different prayers that are there, which can be very helpful, very useful for personal use or for your congregation. There's also other devotional books uh, that have been of great benefit to my family, to myself. Uh, there's a series called Every Moment Holy. The, the third volume came out in November of last year, uh, and it's been a very enriching um, book to help with daily devotions or with family devotions. And perhaps you have also benefited from something like that as well. The problem with public prayer, or, or with any kind of prayer, that is, is that it can become ostentatious. What does that mean? It means that some like to be seen with their prayers and show off with their many words. It's selfish. It's uh, selfish. And Jesus had seen the hypocrites do this, and we no doubt would have been impressed uh, with how they did that, how, how, they, how impressive they were. The concern here, though, is the motive of prayer. Jesus says that. Don't be like the hypocrites, he says in verse 5, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, the word hypocrite originates from the theater. It was a, the Greek word for an actor, someone who uh, put on a dramatic production. And they would often, in, in uh, that, that time, would, they would put on a mask, which would hide their true identity. It would not show who they really were. And the hypocrite is someone who had the world as his stage, and he cast himself in the starring role. Now, we do have to be clear here. Jesus says these things. Certainly there's nothing wrong with loving prayer. If anything that we're guilty of, it's that we don't always love to pray. We wish we prayed more. We wish we prayed longer. We wish we prayed better. I'm sure most of us would say this morning, you know what? I don't feel really good about my prayer life. In fact, it could be a lot better. We're more apt to resonate with a question that I read from a pastor who reflected on his own life in prayer. How can something I'm so bad at be God's will for my life? If only we could love to pray more. Moreover, there's nothing wrong with standing. In the Bible, Hannah stood when she was in the temple asking the Lord to give her a son. We read that in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Jehoshaphat, or Jehoshaphat, pardon me, uh, stood before the assembly. We read of that in 2 Chronicles 20 verse 5. Standing was one of the appropriate um, postures for prayer, along with sitting 
or kneeling or being prostrate. And also, there's nothing wrong with praying in public. Surely, we must not stop this practice, you know, in the restaurant or in the university that we would hide our prayers. No, we need to be open about those things in public places. In some countries, public prayer is banned. And certainly there's nothing wrong with praying in a house of worship as Jesus prayed in the synagogue. He called that the house of prayer. He also prayed out in the open. You remember the time when when Lazarus was uh, lying in the tomb and all the people were gathered there and Jesus loudly said in public, we read this in John 11, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hear me But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. The problem here that Jesus is getting at is being seen by others. That last phrase is the important one. As Augustine explained, it's not the being seen of men that is wrong, but doing these things for the purpose of being seen by men. It's always the motivation that Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is not only concerned with the what of prayer, but with the how. Specifically, Jesus wants to make sure we're praying for the right reasons and from the right heart. In fact, that is his central concern in discussing all acts, all three acts of piety that are listed here. In giving and in your Um, prayers, but as well as if you practice your fasting. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't do it to look good, because Jesus understands the pride and vanity that dwell in every heart. As Kevin DeYoung puts it, his warning against what is all too common in all of our hearts, perhaps in the pastor's heart more than in anyone else's, being religious in public more than being religious in private. He says our prayer life should be like the iceberg in the ocean with a great mass of spirituality underneath the surface that no one can see rather than iceberg lettuce floating in the water with all the vegetable on the top and nothing under the surface. Our prayer life should be more than meets the eye. Jesus gives us a warning for all, but especially for pastors, elders, deacons, women's Bible study leaders, small group leaders, and anyone engaged in public ministry. You know, if you're in the public realm or leading prayer in Bible study, beware of of a professionalism. Beware of saying all the right things outside when all the wrong things are taking place on the inside. You're not fooling God. And you're not fooling those who live close to you. Instead, Jesus says, remember, your father is watching. Come to him in secret. Your father's not, you know, far away and, you know, inaccessible. No, he's right there in the secret place. And in order to emphasize that intimacy of secret prayer, he says, 
it should take place in your room, behind the door, in secret with your Father who is in heaven. Therefore, don't pray for show, but commune with the Almighty God. That leads us to what we see here secondly, the second thing that Jesus deals with, and that is repetitious prayer. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now Jesus has in mind here not a certain ethnicity uh, when he uses the word Gentiles. It's actually the word heathen um, in the original. The Lord has listened to the voices of many different languages ever since the Tower of Babel. God's goal is to take his elect out of every nation and to make them his own. He desires to be praised in different languages. We need to understand that he's speaking about people who don't know God. The problem with the other nations around is not that they spoke in a foreign language, but that they said the same things over and over again. We can see that with, for example, um, the ancient Roman worship at that time. They recited incantations and they used magic to try to manipulate their gods. We see this all over the world today as well. In, in, in uh, Muslim countries, the important thing is following the rituals. Say the right things, face the right way, and at the right time. And there are certain Hindu and, and uh, Sikh rituals that many go through. Buddhists have something called a prayer wheel. People put their prayers in a box, and when they spin the wheel, like a, you know, the wheel of fortune, they spin the wheel, it's said to repeat their prayers even more so that their god or goddess will hear them. And also Hindu, Hindus babble their prayers. They're like mantras, they say, over and over again until they become numb. According to Jesus, that's not what prayer looks like. Now the word, uh, the word pardon me, for um, empty phrases is in the original babaleo. It means exactly that, uh, a vain repetition. Um, it's the Bible's use of, of that term that we call onomatopoeia. You know, you use a word that describes the way it sounds, splash, quack, buzz. These words describe exactly the way that they sound. And babaleo sounds like babble, babble, babble. So Jesus is saying, don't be like the pagans who think that they, they can be heard for their mechanical words and, and, and phrases. And we can be guilty of that as well. You know, we can say the Lord's Prayer or read our confessions in church like as if it's some kind of out-of-body experience that we go through instead of really listening and thinking about what we're saying, believing it from the heart. It's all too common as we pile up phrases. John Stott calls that all lips and no heart. 
Tied to this is the thoughtlessness of prayer. I've had conversations with other non-Dutch Reformed pastors who have different backgrounds, and they've asked the question, why it is that people in your congregation always tell God what time it is, beginning the prayer by saying, you know, Lord, we come to you at this time, as if God just needs to be told. He knows what time it is. It can become a thoughtless thing. It can be routine. And we see that right across the board, whether you're URC, can rough, free reformed. It can be mindless and thoughtless. What helps to avoid that? Well, again, it's to remember that our prayers are before God. We're praying for God's sake. And our Father, Jesus says, knows what we need even before we ask. Therefore, we don't need to multiply our words or try to manipulate him. We just need to trust the Father. God doesn't even need our prayer. But he uses it. It's, it's a means to accomplish his purpose. You know, just like when we're driving, God could send angels to protect us from uh, an accident, and no doubt he does, but he uses means. He uses a seatbelt. He uses airbags. He uses laws. So we don't have to try to impress him with our formulas or big phrases. Therefore, know to whom you're praying. He's not an angry coach or a distant king or an austere supervisor. If you believe and are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, trust Jesus to forgive your sins. When you do that, then you have life in the Father. So know to whom you're praying and also remember that he knows what you need even before you ask. All brings us to our last point, and that is the disciples' prayer. This is really an introduction, as you probably know, to the Lord's Prayer, as we call it. And here, Jesus is wanting us to focus on what really matters. What's the important character of prayer? We can simply list a number of things. True prayer is a relationship. It's a relationship. Pagans can pray with many words, and that's what we see in the Bible. Think of the prophets of Baal. They used lots of words, and they grew louder and louder. Boys and girls, you remember that story? We read about that in 1 Kings 18, how they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, answer us. And they took out their knives and they cut themselves and the blood flowed out. They grew louder and wilder. Midday passed, but still no answer. No matter how frantic they were, it was futile. And then Elijah stood up. And he arranged the sacrifice to the Lord and he stepped forward and he offered that, the simple words, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, hear me, O Lord, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you've turned their hearts back to you. And then fire comes down, burns the altar. He didn't babble all day, didn't use vain and repetitious phrases. He didn't need to because he was speaking to his father. And God answered. And in the same way, God doesn't need our lengthy explanations, He, he needs our sincerity. There's to be a, a simplicity then in prayer. It, it's not about, you know, how, how many phrases you have or how many words you have to get extra credit or by being extra smart. We don't need to impress God. True prayer trusts the Lord. Uh, true prayer is also confident. It's confident. It's not confident in ourselves or confident in our performance No, but it trusts in him. Does God lack uh, discernment? Is he an overindulgent parent giving candy over and over despite that it rots his uh, children's teeth and makes them bloated? No, he gives good gifts. Jesus says, your father knows what you need even before you ask him. And we ask... If when we ask incorrectly, or we use our words poorly, and we don't know what to say, well, what does God say about that? In Romans 8, verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in in our weaknesses, for we do not know what 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 we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. True prayer is confident. It's also familial. It's familial. That means that you belong to a family. You're praying to your Father. And that's what the Lord's Prayer teaches us. In the simple prayer that's so profound, so beautiful. And we hear it year after year in the Catechism. It never gets tiring. We're blessed to address our God and Father. How about you? Are you a praying man or woman? Do you pray, children? There are many reasons for spiritual neglect and care to these. Uh, uh, There's reasons for sinful neglect, pardon me, of of prayer. Not not any of them are good or or, uh, what we should be doing, of course. Uh, There's physical weakness. You come to the end of the day and you're, you're tired. And you don't pray. Or there's a false sense of independence. There's that attitude, I could manage life on my own. There tends to be that kind of idea within our own background, as thinking of the Dutch, just to pick on them a little bit today. We tend to be doers and not prayers. We seem to be managing quite well, so why pray? You know that Latin phrase, ora et labora, 
Well, we focus a lot on labora, labor. What about aura, prayer? And then there's our problem with laziness or lack of discipline. Things may come easier to us. They don't take a lot of effort. We're good at sports. We're good at math. We're good at this. We're good at that. And we don't pray. We don't depend on the Lord. Or your parents are always leading your family in devotions. Your dad and your mom pray, but you don't have to be. You can just sit there and listen. You form an unhealthy dependency on others that holds you back from a personal walk with the Lord. I've heard it said before that we're good at um, raising our children to be inattentive during family devotions. And there's also our outright sinful rebellion. The Spirit calls us to pray, but we refuse. We sin against God and sin again by not coming in prayer. Or there's a lack of faith in the promises of God. We don't believe that God is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. And then sometimes we stop praying because we lose heart. God does not answer our prayers the way we want. We pray for God to provide, but we go without work. We pray for someone to be saved, but he or she just keeps running away from God. And we pray for a partner in life, but we're still alone. We pray for the sick, but they're not healed. And soon we begin to wonder, is God even really listening? We become discouraged and stop asking God to help at all. And then there are other things too, distractions, social media, Facebook, Instagram, X, gaming, streaming movies, Disney Plus, Netflix, Hoopla, I don't know what all they all are. Many distractions, more than ever before. And it's hard to put down our phones and other electronic devices. May Jesus' words today encourage us to help us to grow in our faith and in our trust in God. The reason he's speaking this is so that we can be encouraged to come to the Father. And our righteousness is not from ourselves. He is our righteousness. Trust in him then, congregation, as his disciples, and let us listen and obey as his disciples. Amen. We'll sing now from hymn 46 and stanzas 1 to 4. <clears throat>